let's talk about something else people love to talk about. Anybody here want to maybe one day, I don't know, maybe sell your company and ride off into the sunset with a bunch of money in your pocket? Anybody down with that? So uh, we know that there's been a huge wave of consolidation again, which we haven't seen in probably close to 20 years since it was this insane. Multiples are going to the roof. And I, I mentioned this morning that I met with uh, uh, Kenny Bell this morning or yesterday, and he gave me permission. I asked him specifically, can I talk about what you did? And, you know, and he sold his company for $95 million, somewhere in that range. And you guys were in that, involved in that purchase. So you probably know exactly what that number is, but it's probably close to that, right? And uh, yeah, more. <laughs> but the multiples that we're seeing, Kenny told me this yesterday, he's seeing multiples of 14 and 15 times earnings. Mm -hmm. Now, how long that's gonna last? We don't know. What we do know is that COVID, for our industry, it's a very serious, I'm not minimizing the illness. My brother-in-law is in the hospital right now with pneumonia and a blood clot from COVID. And like, I'm halfway, like I may leave tonight, depending how serious he gets, because I love him to death. It's a serious disease and I'm not minimizing it, but for our industry, it was great. It was absolutely great. We were essential, we stayed working, and the valuations of our businesses went through the roof because these private equity companies like Frank, these guys like, wow, these are great investments, right? They can't, they can't ship these jobs off to China. They can't ship these jobs off to Mexico, right? These are essential and these home services businesses. So we're in a very good situation uh, in that regard. So what I wanna talk about and just hear from the panel is what are some of the things we should be doing in the event that you want to sell? I'm not saying that you should or you might or whatever, but it's a conversation you want to have with yourself. It's an option. As I always told my son, when I said the number one son, the one thing in life you want, son, is options. So if I'm going to at least entertain the idea, and G-Man, we'll start with you because I know you have a, a lot of experience in this, in this realm. You've done it many, many times, buying, building, and selling companies very, very effectively. It's made you a very, very wealthy, bald man. So if somebody in the group wants to sell their company, what should we be doing to get ready for that? Well, there's two components in my mind. The first one is the emotional side of being prepared to sell it. Um, so a lot of business owners, you know, it's family business, uh, could be a multi-generational business. It's, it's an emotional experience. And, you know, even, even somebody like me who buys a company as an asset and builds it, you get connected to that group of people. It's a team. It's still emotional. Like it's hard. So, I think you've got to work through the mental side of being prepared for that and realizing that, you know, he or she who has the gold writes the rules and, and basically you're, you're now an employee of that group or, you know, you're transitioning to the next phase. That's not an easy place for an entrepreneur to, to live. So you've got to emotionally, you know, sit down and think through, am I really ready to do this? That's really interesting. It's, I never even thought about that side of it. It's a real problem for a lot of owners. So. Um, and, it, and it's real. I mean, it's, 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 it's not you know, it's feelings versus facts. Well, your feelings count, so it's a real thing. <clears throat> so um, we just sold our businesses and the Arizona operations in May. And I mean, you know, getting to the table and watching that piece of paper fly back and forth, there was a lot of tears and just a lot of people that, you know, are we doing the right thing? Is this right? Of course, the transaction side of the money is the opposite side. How do you get ready on the, on the economic side? Yeah. You know, the business processes, the, the operations. So that, that part of it is, is pretty easy. It's a technical problem. 
its valuation, its uh, what, uh, a company is going to pay you more money for something that's a recurring EBITDA. So things like service agreements, um, the ability to prove that the customer base exists, you know, and you're producing an EBITDA against that customer base is a more valuable commodity. Uh, so the multiples are all over the place, Wally. I mean, they're they're ranging from six to eight for companies that are below a million dollars of EBITDA. And if you're above a million dollars of EBITDA, they're ranging from you know eight to fifteen, and, and so I've seen higher than fifteen. Wow. So it's 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 a question for the private equity group or the person who's buying the company about how do they package that group of assets together because their motivation is generally to move it to the next financing platform or to flip it again. So their multiple is if they buy you at eight, they're going to flip it at fifteen. So they they're not afraid to pay you eight or ten. It's a question of can they prove that your model is successful at producing that EBITDA? And just by the way, EBITDA, just so we're all clear, is earnings before interest and taxes, which is your operating income, and your depreciation and amortization. So prep work is you, you get into the tactical stuff. You know, you, you, if you're leasing your fleet, you don't want to be leasing your fleet if you're going to sell your company. You want to flip that over to a note. That becomes depreciation. You get paid a multiple of eight on that pay off the note with the money that they give you. You're going to, so, you know, $300,000 is worth, let's call it 1.8 million. Take the 300 and pay it off and, you know, keep the, keep the 1.5 on the depreciation. So there's all these tactical things that we can go through. We don't have time to do that, but if you spend some time on the site, there's a whole list and an action plan about all the checklist items to do. So there's a site, there's a website with that stuff on it? You know, there might be. Okay. There might be a website. You produced all that content? It's possible. Yeah. Some of it. EGIA.org. So, uh, you know, t uh, I think you have to have a plan of attack. Um, so the, you know, the, the ownership of a business always has to be thinking around the corner. And that's not a strength of our industry, but it's something when you're selling, you do need to be thinking about that. I like to encourage somebody that's in the business of thinking about selling it is value your company today and value it every month and then keep valuing it. Look at your valuation. And that sort of sets a goal pattern for yourself to say, well, if I need X to be, feel good about the transaction, that's gonna help you build the processes and the costs uh, or the uh, EBITDA structure to get what you want. And so it, it's no different than setting a goal for sales or conversions. So you just have to start thinking about that. So we could go on for a long time, but I'm gonna let these guys chime in. By a show of hands, how many people are either uh, A, involved in a family business or B, a second generation family business? I mean, look at that. And this is why I love this little dude right here, because most of us would never even consider until it was way down the road and at that closing table to think about the emotional impact. That is a part of your family if you're in one of these family businesses. And when you build something and all of us, our businesses are like our babies, right? It's like I tell people with their sales leads, you should treat your sales leads like your children, you should know where they are, you should know who they're hanging out with, you should know, you know exactly their status is at any given moment. And your business is that way. And then you go to sell that thing and yeah, we get excited about the big dollars and you know some of these deals are going around right now are just like the numbers are mind boggling, but that's a really important point. I don't know if I'm just bad luck, but the last five clients that I've done long-term projects for have all sold. <laughs> if I come around, apparently you're screwed. But uh, it's been amazing watching the process. And Frank DeMarco has been involved in a lot of that because his company has been consolidating some of these other larger companies. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking between Service Champion South and North. I know Kevin Cumberford recently brought on some investors. 
Mary Jean Anderson down in San Diego, ASI down in San Diego, uh, Kenny and Jerry Bell, uh, the guys up in Santa Rosa, which is probably your nightmare. Uh, <laughs> they struggle with that. That company has struggled under, uh, with the old ownership out. But all of them have done one thing. Like there's one thing they all have in common. They got extremely profitable. Every organization that I've dealt with, the last five major projects I've done over the last three or four or five years, the first thing that they've done, these were companies who already departmentalized. They were already great companies. But the first thing they did was raise prices and to get some meat on that bone, to get healthy, to get those margins looking good. And so, you know, obviously that comes down to the sales process and your service technicians in making sure your pricing is, is, is accurate. Uh, what's, can, I I, think, can I pimp Drew for just a second? Absolutely. So, If you, you pimp him to me. Well, one thing that I uh, felt like the contractor panel didn't get to that we need to talk about is the service business being the fuel for the installation business. So there's a pump and dump philosophy. I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to have as many installations as possible. I'm going to create massive cash flow EBITDA, and then I'm going to get rid of it. So, but great companies don't operate that way. Right. That, that's a short-term philosophy and it, it works. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it, it, so if you're running a family business, you need a great service business and you need a great maintenance business. So what you do is you hire a guy like Drew and or Russ together and they come in and they teach your technicians how to have that conversation with the clients. And so those transactions uh, increase, the conversions increase, your EBITDA increases, prices increase, and your cash flow and, and uh, overall profitability goes up. And that's what you're doing with Bell and some of these other companies. It's not a big mystery why they're selling because you help them get to where they wanted to be to sell. Yeah. So you hire professionals to do that and that's how you get to that next layer of EBITDA. And so, no, and, and, and so I would like for you to comment on kind of the quality of earnings that come from those maintenance agreements because those companies I just mm -hmm. talked about, and Frank, you can you know, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but they average about 20,000 maintenance agreements in each of those companies. Each of those companies, 20,000 maintenance agreements. Now, never mind the 400 grand on the first of the month when all those credit cards hit, right? But obviously the business, and that's what Gary's talking about. So could you comment on the quality of the earnings of a strong maintenance agreement base versus the pump and dump or just like high volume sales? Yeah, so any, any PE group, um, there's like 25 of them out there nowadays, something like that. Um, they're, they're always going to look back at the history. So they're going to look at three years minimum, probably five years is something like that. And they're going to look at your trailing 12 months, the most recent 12 months. And they're going to look at how the EBITDA has been created. So things like earned volume rebates are going to be treated in a particular manner. You know, some companies like service experts, you know, we used to put it in the cost of goods sold as a, as a, as a reduction. So the gross profit dollars are higher. Um, in a private company like mine, you know, we're going to take that. That's, that's your fun money. That's your Christmas you know, bonuses or whatever you want to do with your, your team, uh, which would be, you know, below the operating income line. So uh, you're, you're going to look at the structure of how the company is producing its cash flow and earnings. And they're going to, they'll, if you ask them, they will give you the quality of earnings model. It's a great question to ask any PE firm. How are you going to value our company? What is your quality of earnings model? They'll give you a spreadsheet and you can put your own data in. And typically they're gonna pay a, a, a large accounting firm, somebody that's a professional accounting firm to come in and do a general ledger audit. And they're gonna look at every single transaction you know, for the last couple of years to prove the efficacy of all those transactions. 
But look, if I'm flying my jet to the Bahamas, okay, and I'm billing that as an expense to the company. That's not a metaphorical thing. You actually have a private jet. You I'm just fly saying, to the if that's in the cost associated just, just with the overhead. That's legit. That's not like a metaphor. If it's in the cost of the overhead, you know, that's, that's, that's not, I mean, that, that's not a real expense. It's an expense and it's legal, but it's not a real expense from the quality of earnings point of view. So they're going to analyze all the things that we're doing to sort of live lifestyles as private entrepreneurs. And they're going to they're going to pull those out or they're going to add those things back in. So, you know, they're, get the spreadsheet, get the tool. I mean, I'll be happy to give you mine and, uh, you know, walk you through it. It's just one of those conversations that uh, th this gets to the money side or the emotional side. I think my company is worth a lot more than it really is. <laughs> Every one of us do. It's right. just because it's we've got pride and ego and, you know, it's a, it's it's an extension of our personality. So that's normal. That's but but that's not how that's not how private equity companies buy things. So you got to get over that. They're going to look at the math and they're going to look at the analytics and they're going to look at repetitive recurring revenue and EBIT. And you pretty much have to get to that place in your mind. So and you have a CPA, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Aren't no, you? Aren't I'm, you? I'm not a CPA. OK, but you've got a financial background. So James is another He's got guy. a CYA. James is another guy that can help you, you know, sift through like where we are in terms of you know, cash flow. Let's get him in this conversation. Andrew, I'm going to come to you next. So uh, you've done a lot of consulting and training in your career, as well as being in the trenches. Um, somebody calls you up and says, hey, I want to sell my company in the next two or three years. What are your first couple of priorities going to be when you go into that company? Well, you know, I, I, I like to remind all of us that we're going to, our company is going to change hands no matter what. We're either going to go out of business, we're going to give it to our kids or sell it to somebody, but our company is going to change hands. So we have to plan for it. It's, just, it's inevitable. I think that what I'd like to see everybody do is uh, every day when you go to work, you're, you think you're going to build a franchise. You're building a franchise. You plan to take XYZ HVAC and you're going to sell franchises. So when you sell franchises, you have to have a written operations manual that indicates who comes to work when and how you answer the phone and how you do everything. And it all starts with knowing you're going to sell your company and start planning for it because you'll treat your business differently if you're building a business to sell. If you don't sell it for some reason, you've built a great business, but you have to think every day I'm selling this place and how much can you get for it? You, you want to look into something called discounted cash flow. That's what a lot of people use when they value a company. And it's easy to find that all over the internet. But I think it's, unless you're there, unless your company is ready to be sold, it's, you know, it's too early to think about what you could get for it. You want to think about, would anybody buy this franchise? Would they want my company as a franchise? And then I guess one thing else I'd add is, remember, if you want a bunch of money for your company, you're dealing with a rich person. And that rich person either made it or inherited it. Chances are they made it for themselves, so they know what they're doing. They're only gonna buy your company if they can't make their own company from scratch better than yours. So in other words, they're only gonna pay you money for what they can't buy. So they don't care about your eight foot break, and they don't care about your vans. They can buy all that. What they want is your people, and like, you call them little guy. Little man, what was that? He's the you, smart. You, you let him. Hey, you know what's amazing? How does one dude that small get that smart? Little dude, Wally. that's it. He said, like little his dude. brain is like, it, like his brain is twice the side of his head. 
So Gary, so as, as Gary stayed said, out too late last night. As, as Gary said, um, rich people want recurring revenue. That's what they want. They want revenue that recurs, recurring revenue. They don't want revenue that you have to go out and chase. They want service agreement revenue. They want revenue that's coming in on its own with relatively little work. So it's all about acting like you're going to franchise your business and getting your recurring revenue coming in. That's great advice. You call it discounted cash flow. Uh, I refer to it as kind of uh, free cash flow. Talk to the folks real quick about what would be included in that. And, and Gary, if you want to comment, and then I want to talk the same question, like if you go on a project, what's the first thing you're going to have them do to get them ready to sell? But could you talk about that discounted cash flow? Yeah. So, you know, if I ask you or you ask me, hey, James, how much money does your company make? The answer is really irrelevant. To tell you what our net profit is, is irrelevant. For me to ask you what your net profit is, that number means nothing. I can't really do anything with it because there's so much involved in shaping net profit. Uh, you have a good accountant, they can change that net profit around. But what they can't do is mess with cash flow. Cash flow is basically money coming in minus money going out. And there's no way to change that. Money coming in minus money going out Accountants can do far less manipulating that number into something worse than it is or better than it is for tax purposes. So your company is valuable when it generates cash flow. And Jack Welch used to always say cash is king, right? Mm -hmm. He never said sales was king. Right. He never said profit was king. He said cash is king because it's all about generating cash flow. Money coming in minus money coming out is positive cash flow. And that's what it's all about. That's what people are paying for. Um, one last thing I'll say about cash flow: there is no such thing as a business problem when you can write a check to fix it. It's a, an expense. And so that's another reason why rich people are interested in cash flow. So James, that would include obviously EBITDA, you talked about uh, depreciation, uh, any other owner benefits type thing. Gary, comment on the specifics of what well, I'm sure your Ferrari that you drive is probably listed in one of your S corporations. I don't need a Ferrari when I buy your company. So we're going to treat well, would, that as Why part would you of buy a company if you don't get a Ferrari? Because <laughs> I like McLarens. <laughs> <laughs> and Jets. <laughs> so, you know, things like that, that, you know, the, the, the acquiring business doesn't need to create the recurring cash flow that we're talking about they're going to pay you for all that. And uh, so, you know, there's lots of business owners are going to do things. They might have a golf club membership. They might have uh, a spouse, you know, that has a vehicle that maybe isn't necessarily involved in a company. All perfectly legitimate, all part of the tax code. But all of those are addbacks, what we call addbacks. And uh, certainly there's, there's also like PPP was a good example. We had PPP money laying all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if somebody's buying the company and PPP is there. Uh, unfortunately, in your marketplace, somebody bought a company and the young lady gave them the PPP money. I'm still mad about that. That was a, that was a, that somebody took advantage of somebody mm -hmm. and that's just not right. So the PPP money comes back to you. So you get to keep that money and they're gonna pay you. And so there's all, all these ad backs and uh, change type processes, you, you just go line item by line item. That's why you have, you need the quality of earnings report. That's what that will tell you is what the discounted cash flow looks like. And so we just apply a multiple on that. So a multiple of say eight to 10 uh, is gonna be based on the free cash flow. 
and then your book value assets minus liabilities. Hopefully you've got more assets than liabilities. Awesome, awesome. Drew, uh, wrap this conversation up with us, but uh, somebody calls you, a client calls you and says, Drew, I wanna sell in the next two or three years. What's gonna be your first one or two priorities in that company? Um, yeah, making sure they're ready for that. You know, Gary talks about it all the time, right? Culture, so vision, mission, purpose, core values. Do you have that? Those are your foundational elements of your, the cornerstones of your business. So make sure you have that. Do you have a, an organizational chart by position, structure, right? Not by person. You know, you may be in multiple boxes, so you have to have the structure, right? Not the, not the, you know, the uh, a directory by, by people, uh, it's by roles. And then obviously get your financial house in order. This eerily sounds like a class that EJA offers somewhere. Are <laughs> we doing like a three-day boot camp on this stuff somewhere? You got four of them coming up. Good for them. I'm telling you, we've got, we've got our management team going to one of uh, Gary's uh, budgeting classes. I think, uh, I'm not sure what city, but you're doing three or four cities. Uh, I believe they're coming to Anaheim December the 8th through the 10th. Yeah, and like it, it's just three, and you, you, you participate in those too, don't you now? I'm color so, commentary, yeah. Yeah. He, he's played by I might have to just come hang out and like watch you guys sometimes. I don't know. I'll talk to Bruce about travel expenses. It's work, and it's a working class, right? So we, you come in with your, armed with your materials, your yeah. information, and uh, you basically build or rebuild your business. You fix your budget, and they work it backwards for you yeah. and show you how to get there. So, get so we're, we're picking up, by the way, we were originally budgeting for $10 million next year. I just challenged our team that's coming to see you. We're going to set that budget at 15 million, and I think we can do it. It'll be our third year. We did uh, six million this year, right? And we're going to go for 15 next year because I ain't messing around. Placement called the Frank here for it, so we're like, hey, that's, hey aren't you want aggressive. to come to Colorado, Frankie? Yo, Frankie. And then, come uh, to Colorado. And then make like I say, make sure you have your financial house in order. Make sure you have your pricing proper uh, in, in place properly. And then the other thing I, I always tell people is make sure you're ready. I had a conversation last night with a gentleman. He's on our board of directors and asked him how he's doing. And he's going to do about 30 million this year. And, and, I, and I said, are you getting approached? He says like every week he gets phone calls and, and he gets approached. I said, and what are you telling me? He says, I'm, I'm not ready. He's you know, 51 years old and he says, I'm just not ready. And I, and I said, well, by my measure, you, basically that you're, that's the first third of your life, right? Because right. I mean, we're, we're both gamifying for 150. Uh, in life. So if you're thinking about retiring, selling your company and retiring, can they pay you enough to get you to where life can take you? Because life might get you to 120, 130. They basically believe the first person who will live to 200 is on the planet today. So what's going to happen in the next you know, 10 years with the CRISPR gene and all of that, your life and quality of life is going to go through the roof in the next 10 years. And so if you sell today, can they give you enough to retire on? My father, he's still with us, and you know we sold back in '96 to a local utility, and you know thankfully he did get you know make enough of it. But he, and he was also emotionally disconnected from the, the situation, with the exception of one thing: they promised us they wouldn't change the name for four years. Okay, that's a promise. It was not documented, and so you need to document everything, as you all well know, uh, because. They can do whatever they want. They can tell you a song and a dance and a story about everything and tell you how wonderful you are and we're buying the future of your company and everything that you did and we believe in you. And as soon as you sign that, uh, you know, that bill of sale, they're 100% in charge. If you ever watched The Pro Prophet with Marcus Lemonis, he says, when you take my check, I am 100% in charge. And it doesn't matter what they said to you. It's matter it matters what they documented. And, and so you want to make sure that 
you know, whatever they're gonna, you know, if they're gonna promise you a job, do realize they can fire you tomorrow. So get your things, you know, get your uh, house in order uh, financially and structurally, and then make sure you're emotionally disconnected, and then make sure you protect yourself and you document everything. They can, it's called an impress, um, implied and express warranties, if you will, right? And so when I had a five-year, five-state, non-compete when we sold to the local utility, I got fired 18 months later. My dad, got, my dad quit in his first four months because they changed the name of the company. And my brother was fired uh, 24 months later. My younger brother was fired 36 months later. And then they dumped the company. Well, right? I'm unemployable, so I hope they fire my ass right away. Right. Let's that be brings, honest with that you. That brings up kind of the question of what the, what the owners want to do. So a lot of the PE companies are going to want you to stick around for a couple of years, like Drew's dad. I don't know if it was five years or whatever it was. but. That, so they'll allow you to keep money into the next flip. So you could take all cash if that's what you want to do, or you can leave some money into the next version of what they're going to do. And the earnout would be then you stick around and you run that company and you manage that culture and you, and you take the EBITDA up to the next level and they'll pay you more than the value of the agreed upon contract. Yeah. So you got to decide if you want to stick around for a couple of years or if you want to exit. So you're talking well, about exiting. And yeah, the, the flip side of that, just uh, real quick, because you've done a lot of that, uh, yeah. acquiring other companies. Yeah. And if you're in the mode more where you're not thinking about selling, you're thinking more about growing, mm -hmm. and you want to grow through acquisition, this dude right here, like, just there's nobody smarter about how to go about that process. And I've learned a lot just because I bought some companies back in 07, 08, and I bought a pig and a poke, and I didn't do my due diligence, and I got toasted. I learned the hard way about how to buy a company. And if you're thinking about that part of it, then there's just nobody better than Gary Alex to help you through that process, evaluating the, you know, the, the, the purchase, right? The valuation of that company. Uh, I'm gonna take a quick detour here. We have one more topic to cover, but we're gonna take a quick detour because this is unfiltered. And honestly, I'm feeling a little buzz. This is good. <laughs> my speaking manager over there, Krista, I introduced her this morning. Say hi, Krista. She's my work wife. And she's a very bad influence. Just if any of you ever go out with her, plan to be out late. Anyway, I want to talk about something else that, that Drew just touched on. And it's about meaning in life. And I know this was not on the agenda for us to discuss, but um, I, want to, I want to have Drew just take a few minutes and talk to us about priorities and the meaning of life, the significance, what's really... I don't know if Kim is here. Is Kim here anywhere? She might have Kim, are you in the room? Kim, are you here? She was here. So Kim is, he has not married her yet. I'm not sure why. She probably won't marry him. Extraordinary woman. But a couple of years ago, for those of you who don't know, uh, Drew suffered a very, very serious heart attack. And we're all very fortunate that he's here. And I want him to share with you what happened. But most importantly, I want him to share with you how his priorities have changed in the last couple of years. And I know I'm just kind of throwing you on under the bus here, and, but I just, you touched on it briefly, you alluded to it, and I just, I just think it's worth our, our, our you know, group here just hearing, because it's just had such a profound impact on what, because we're talking about money all the time, we're talking about jets, and we're talking about Ferraris, and we're talking about bucket loads of money in the bank, but at the end of the day, this cat has his priorities straight, and so would you share that with us, Drew? Yeah. Um... Thanks for putting me on the spot. Uh, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, I just signed a new contract, so they can't even fire me. July, well, and it's interesting you brought it up. Uh, for those of you who were in my session this morning, uh, today is the third anniversary of the passing of my older brother. He was oh 50, 55. John? Yeah. Today's the third anniversary? Third anniversary. I didn't even know that, man. And it wasn't, yeah, appreciate that. And I lost my younger brother back in 2006. And so my dad's retired out of the business. My mom's retired out of the business. My younger sister's retired out of the business. And both my brothers passed away in the business. And so I'm the last Cameron in the business. And this business has done everything for me. I have some of my best friends on the planet are in the business. These gentlemen right here. Uh, my business partner, Russ. But like you said, it, that's the important thing. It's my kids. It's Kim. And it's the quality of life. And that's why we changed the business name from HVAC Solutions to Flow Odyssey. Because we basically said, you know, I, I see people struggle in this business. My father's health was not the best when he was in business. And so we basically wanted to focus on building healthier businesses for better outcomes and happier lives. And that's kind of the, mod the motto of Flow Odyssey. And it's, uh, you know, it's our personal journey to peak performance. That's what Flow is, peak performance. And the way we get to peak performance, though, is taking care of ourselves first. I put myself first, and I never did that. I put, I put the industry and I put my clients first for years. And I told myself that's what I had to do. And uh, I wore that as a badge of honor all the way to a heart attack. And my heart stopped. And what I did to my son on vacation and my queen, they had to bring Drew back five times. They shocked like five times. They well, they, my heart stopped three different times. They shocked me five, a total of five times. And uh, I dropped dead on the first day of vacation. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> So, and it was a year, like I say, it was the year after my, my brother had passed. And the only reason that Kim was able to save my life was because the lessons that she learned from my sister-in-law, who wasn't able to save my brother, because he died in bed one morning next to her. And his daughter and his wife couldn't save him. And thankfully, you know, Kim saved me. She popped my heart for 20 minutes. And so, sure enough, I got a, I got a second chance. I understood it was a message. The message was, stop doing this stupid shit you've been doing, dumbass. <laughs> stop putting the business first. Put yourself first. You know, you're cheating those most important to you. If you say the clients are most important to you and you're not the highest version of yourself, and you say your employees are the highest, you know, are the most important to you, and your family's the most important to you, and you're not taking care of your health first, you're a hypocrite. I had to look in the mirror and I had to own that. No guilt or shame, just own it. And so I spent the last you know, couple of years you know, getting my health in order, and I'm 100% healthy. I have zero heart damage. The odds that you will survive a heart attack are 95%. The odds that you survive sudden cardiac arrest go down below a, a, single, a single decimal. And so I went through three sudden cardiac arrests. And so I'm in rare air living in, uh, uh, I like to say, playing free baseball right now, or extra hockey, right? I mean, I'm. I'm living on free time. And the only reason I am is because I take care of myself. And so the message is, is take care of yourselves. Take care of your health. Put yourself first. Get your sleep. Eat right. Meditate. Work out. Take your supplements. And live a healthy life because that's when you can build the best business that you can, build the best team that you got. And so every so often I still indulge a little bit, but uh, just put myself first you, and those around me first. I love you, man. We're so lucky. Uh, Drew has made such a contribution to this industry over the last 30 years. It's really hard to quantify uh, personally in my life, but the industry in general. 
And I just thought it was worthy of us having that little discussion sure. uh, because we talk a lot about the financial part of it. And, you know, we've got the, the legendary icon. I'm not sure if the legend icon, I get it confused. Why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? He should be in the Hall of Fame. Drew Cameron should be in the HVAC Hall of Fame. I don't know who runs that racket, but I mean, this guy should be there. Thank you, guys. And uh, I've known Drew. Likewise. I've known Drew, uh, as I mentioned, for 20 years. He gave me my first job out of prison. I was living in a halfway house in a homeless shelter, and he gave me a job. And uh, uh, just uh, so much there. But um, like, he's a different person the last two, two years. Uh, losing John, you, know, you lost your other brother before that, but John recently, and, and I knew John, he was just an extraordinary guy, and it changed Drew, and he focuses on different priorities now, his, his girl, his children, his queen as he refers to her, and uh, I just think that's so important. For those of you who have, have heard me speak, and uh, you know, I, I teach the business stuff, but to me it's so much more about the significance, like what's the purpose of life? What's the significance? And, you know, if you were to add up all the money, all the people in this room made, especially Gary's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, that's not going to give us happiness. Uh, it's going to be the things that, that Drew's talking about. And uh, I just want to encourage everybody, we're so blessed to have this organization uh, to come together, 1,000, 1,200 of us strong this week. Like, where else is that happening? And it's not happening a lot of other places, I promise you. And it's such an extraordinary group of professionals, men and women of strong character and integrity that are focused on the right priorities. And yeah, we make money and we plan the business part. But there's just so much more to this. The last time I walked out of the penitentiary, 20 years ago, there was a captain. His name was Ed Gillantine. I'll never forget him. And he was a career Department of Corrections guy. And he ran the education center. And he used to let me come in there, and he would sneak courses to me that he would order online, educational courses. And I would take these courses, and he would let me use a computer to do Word documenting and things and print stuff. And I was walking out of the penitentiary, and I went over, uh, after 13 years, I was walking out, and I went to thank him. And he goes, don't thank me. He goes, I got one piece of advice, though, you have to follow. You have to promise me. To whom much is given, much is required. And I've always taken that admonition very seriously. Uh, these guys take that admonition very, very seriously. And the contribution that they have made to this industry is just, as I mentioned, it's, it's un impossible to quantify. I just want to encourage you all, like, just to understand how fortunate we are to have this group. Like, these men, extraordinary men in their thinking, extraordinary men in their character, and it's just a blessing for all of us to just, man, when I hear Drew speak and I hear Gary speak, and James, you too, you've taught me a lot. It's like, we're just really lucky, and I really appreciate you guys. I really do. Give it up for these three guys right here. Love you, man. Yeah, and I, I want to thank you all because you gave, you've given us a platform, right? I mean, 
you know, these, these guys had membership groups. I did not. I was doing this kind of as a, more as a boutique thing and I, you know, work with singular companies. And you've given us a platform in which basically, you know, our legacy lives on through what we're able to share with you. And, and I, we take no credit for any of the success that you have because you guys got to do the work. I can talk about the importance of doing push-ups, but you got to do them. I can't do them for you. And so we applaud you and thank you for giving us a, an atmosphere and an environment and a, a group of people who are just willing to listen, learn, and hopefully go do something with it. And that's what we've been hearing about this week. Give them a hand. Yeah. So to you all, thank you.